0: you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're in the middle of a passage as a church that spans from verse 18 of chapter 3 into verse 1 of chapter 4, and it's a passage that focuses exclusively on instructing us as believers and as followers of Jesus Christ on how to exalt Jesus Christ in everything we say and do. You see, for those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ by grace through faith, He is, as Paul says in chapter 3, verse 11, our all and in all. Our life, our dreams, our ambitions, and our affections are entirely wrapped up in Jesus Christ. For as we saw in Colossians 1 and 2, He's the divine one who came down from glory to heaven, from heaven to earth. He took on flesh and blood, He lived a perfect life beneath God's just law so that he might die and pay the penalty for all of our sins so that we might receive by his grace righteousness peace and forgiveness for all of our sins through trusting in him because we are in Jesus our past as believers is forgiven because of a Christ who has suffered our present as believers, is secure because of a Christ who is sovereign. And our future is glorious because of a Christ who is soon coming. Therefore, Christ is our life. As verse 4 of this chapter exalts, Christ is our life. And therefore, in response to everything that Jesus is, and in response to everything that Jesus has done, We, as the redeemed, want to make our whole life an act of worship to Him. So that as verse 17 of chapter 3 says, Whatever we do in word or deed, we would do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything we do, our whole life, is to be one grand living act of worship to Jesus Christ. And so what does that life of worship look like? What does it look like when a believer exalts Jesus Christ in everything they say and do. Well, that's what this passage before us as a church is all about. It's about showing us what it looks like to exalt Christ first in your marriage as a wife and then as a husband. That was in verses 18 through 19. Then what it's like to exalt Christ in your family as a child and then as a parent. That's in verses 20 through 21. And then finally, what it's like to exalt Christ in your vocation as an employer and then as an employee. That's in chapter 3, verse 22 on into chapter 4, verse 1. And so if you want your entire life to be one grand act of living worship to Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you, then that means then you and I must learn what it means to exalt Christ in our marriages, in our families, and in our workplaces. We've already seen and looked at how to exalt Christ as a wife and then as a husband in your marriage. Last week we looked at how to exalt Christ in your family as a child. So this morning, we get to look at how to exalt Christ in your family as a parent so with that in mind let's read Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 on into chapter 4 verse 1 Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writes down these words for us today wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This is the Word of God whose testimonies are our heritage forever and the joy of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the truth that You have given us today to look into. Father, we thank You so much for the glory of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. We thank You that in His great compassion and kindness, humility and meekness, Patience, forbearance, and forgiveness. He came to earth. He came to earth to die for sinners like us. And because of that, because he humbled himself, we have been exalted. Indeed, our life is hidden with Christ and God. And we seek, Father, to live our lives here on earth in a way that magnifies Jesus' worth to a watching world. We want to show those around us who He is and what He has done for us. We want to show the world the change that can happen in a person's heart when they surrender their lives to Christ-saving sovereignty. And so, Father, I pray that You would teach us today how to do that on an everyday basis for those of us, Father, who have given us, who have who have responsibility over children. Help us to take that responsibility rightly and so live and so act as to draw the attention of those under us and those around us solely to Christ and to Christ alone above all. Teach us and make us and mold us today by your spirit, according to your word, for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if we want to exalt Christ in everything we do, then you and I must know what it means to exalt Christ in your marriage, and second, what it is to exalt Christ in your family. And that's in verses 20 through 21. We saw, as I mentioned already, how to exalt Christ as a child, that is, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Today we're going to be looking at how to exalt Christ in your family as a parent. That begins in verse 21 where Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Notice Paul begins by addressing this to fathers. Notice it does not say parents. It says fathers, pateros in the Greek. Paul is specifically addressing only one of the parents in this verse. Verse. If he was wanting to address both of the parents in this verse, he could have easily done so by simply using the word he has just used in the previous verse, verse 20, of ganusin, which is parents. But Paul doesn't do that. He switches words deliberately, and he focuses in on one specific parent, the father. Now, this does not mean that mothers are not addressed in the instruction or, is, or and should not pay attention to this command. Obviously, the biblical instruction that is given to fathers will invariably be passed off to the mothers since they are partners together in raising up children for the glory of Christ. Which is why I say that this verse tells us how to exalt Christ in your family just in general as a parent. Nevertheless, God does make it very clear here that the one primarily responsible to head up And lead the parenting and child training effort in the family is fathers. Men, in the eyes of God, you are the one primarily responsible for parenting your children. You are not your wife. You cannot simply say, while well, I bring home the bacon and my wife brings up the kids. No. Fathers, you are the ones called on by God to be involved intimately in the lives of your children. Your wife's parenting is simply an extension and a substitute for your parenting when you cannot be there. But it is not a replacement, nor is it an alternative. Because the primary responsibility for parenting according to God's word primarily falls upon who? Fathers. In fact, I was reminded of this truth this past week through an account that was recorded in 1 Samuel chapters 2 and 3. In that account, Eli is the high priest of Israel and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are helping him in the ministry. Well, what ends up happening is Eli's sons begin to act corruptly and wickedly and they abuse the worship of God for their own sordid gain and so a small detail though that's often overlooked in that story is that God goes and he condemns Eli for the behavior of his sons. He doesn't condemn Eli's wife. He condemns Eli himself as the one who is primarily responsible as the father of those two children. Now obviously the wife participated, but when God comes to condemn parents for their dereliction of duty, or when God comes to instruct parents in how to carry out their duties, God comes to the one who is primarily responsible, and that is the father. Listen men. Listen, fathers, you cannot shirk this divine responsibility nor pass it off to your wife, nor should you ever want to. I was thinking about this from the positive end this week, right? Think about it, men. How many of you have ever wanted to be a part of something that was bigger than yourself? Something that really mattered, that mattered for all eternity? Have you ever wanted to be able to stand at the helm of a grassroots movement with the potential to shape future generations to come? Have you ever wanted to make a lasting impact, no matter how small, in this world, for the glory of Jesus Christ, and you've kept on looking around wondering, where am I supposed to make it? And God has given it to you in your very hands as a father with your children and family. Brothers, God has already given this gift to you in your family. Your family is the first and the greatest and the primary sphere of responsibility that God has given you in this life. Don't let any other responsibility eclipse that one. Your family is the greatest resource, the great project, and the great organization that God wants you to pour yourself into, that God wants you to shape and fashion and steer for his own glory. He has entrusted this to you. So if you have great ambitions for accomplishing much for the kingdom of God and for the glory of Christ, and I hope you do, as this this letter tells us, then it all begins by accomplishing it in your homes and in the lives of your own children. God looks to you men to shape and fashion your own family as an effective tool for the glory of Christ. You are primarily responsible. Whether your family is doing family devotions, you are primarily responsible. Whether your family is learning the word, you are primarily responsible. Whether they are being taught the faith, you are primarily responsible. Whether they are developing in their own lives spiritual disciplines, you are primarily responsible. And whether they are participating in regular worship among God's people, all of that rests solely upon the fathers. You cannot shirk it off to your wife. You cannot shirk it off to the church. You cannot shirk it off to Sunday school or youth group. God looks to you, fathers. So men, are you at the helm of a family that's marked by spiritual ambition? Or are you at the helm of a family that's marked by spiritual anarchy? If your children... I want you to think about this morning. If your children were never able to go to church, never able to go to Sunday school, never able to go to youth group ever again in their entire lives, would they still grow up to be men and women who know Christ and His Word deeply because of the shepherding that you yourself are giving them directly at home? In what ways are you being called on this morning to re-engage in your families as fathers for the glory of Christ? Because fathers, you are the ones held primarily responsible by God to be faithfully shepherding your children. And so after addressing fathers as the ones who are to lead the effort in exalting Christ above all in their families, God then gives them this following command. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Now that word provoke is erethizo. I knew I was going to mess it up. Erethizo in the Greek. It only occurs here and one other time in the entire New Testament. And in both cases it means to stir a person up. And particularly to steer a person up towards a particular action. Now over in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 2, this word provoke is used to describe stirring someone up in a positive sense. In that case, it was towards generosity and greater good works. That same idea is reflected at least over in Hebrews 10 verse 24 where it says that we as believers ought to stir one another up into what? Love and good works, right? There's a good provoking. That's a good stirring up, the type of stirring up that parents should want to have in the lives of their children. But here in Colossians, the word provoke is used in a negative sense. It is used in the sense of a father stirring up his children to act in negative ways and behaviors. Now for me, not just as a pastor, but particularly as a father, I want to know what that negative provocation looks like. That negative response from my children looks like so that when I see those responses in my children's lives, I can immediately examine myself in light of God's word and ask myself, am I provoking my children negatively as God commands me not to? And so I need, we need to ask ourselves, in what ways can a child be negatively provoked by his parents? And the answer is found when you look at how this word is used in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which would have been the version of the Old Testament that the Colossian readers had and would have been studying at this time. There, we discover that the word provoke or eretheso occurs in Deuteronomy 21, verse 20 as rebellion. It occurs in Proverbs 19, verse 7 as chasing after or aggravating. And it occurs in Proverbs 25:23 as giving angry looks. That helped me when I started studying this as a parent. Okay, so if you as a parent want to know what it looks like, uh, if you want to know biblically three wrong actions that a parent can provoke their children towards, it is this. Parents, if they're not parenting carefully according to the wisdom of God's word and walking by the Spirit in the truths of God's word, they can provoke, they can stir up their children in their children, a spirit of aggravation. They can stir up in their children a spirit of anger. And they can stir up in their children a spirit of rebellion. So let's consider this one at a time. First, first, aggravation. How might a parent act in such a way that aggravates, chases down, or irritates their kids? There's a lot of ways, but here's a few that I've seen quite often. Okay, first. Parents and fathers can aggravate their children through teasing, incessant teasing, and this can take on many forms. One of the ways that I saw for some reason a lot in Pennsylvania was scaring your children and then teasing them for their own fear. Parents who would let their children watch scary movies, tell them scary stories, take them to haunted houses or do jump scares on them. And then tease them in public because they're so mortally afraid of everything. I've seen this. It is cruel, it is wrong, and it is aggravating. How are you stirring your children up into love and good works if all you're stirring up in them is fear and aggravation? Through teasing. Another way parents aggravate and annoy their kids is through joking, incessant joking. Now I joke. We've all heard dad jokes. I wanted to buy a book before we traveled out to Nebraska to tease my family with it. But I didn't, right, for application, right? But dad jokes are funny, at least I think so. But what we learn here is there's a limit, right? Being silly and never being serious with your children can aggravate them. Because believe it or not, sometimes your kids want you to take them seriously. And if you never take them seriously, don't be surprised when they all of a sudden do the same to you. Incessant teasing, incessant joking, these are just two suggestions of ways that fathers and parents might be tempted to aggravate, to stir up in their children a spirit of aggravation. This does not align with the kindness of Christ. This does not stir up love and good works. So parents need to be careful that in these ways they don't stir up in their children a spirit of aggravation. Second, Oops, I missed my points. Second, a spirit of anger. Spirit of anger. Paul addresses this directly over in Ephesians 6 verse 4 when he says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So parents are not to provoke their children to anger. So ask yourself again, fathers and parents, how might be some ways that I could provoke and stir up my child to a response of anger? There are many ways. Here are just two to consider. First, Being harsh with your words stirs up anger in your children. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And again, Psalms 140 verses 2 through 3 says, Those who stir up wars continually make their tongue as sharp as serpents. Parents, ask yourself this question. Is your communication with your children marked more by the gentleness of speech of Christ or by the harshness and sharp language of impatience? Cutting your children down, or even, as I've heard sometimes, parents calling their own children's names like weirdo or crazy or stupid. How are you stirring up love and good works when you keep coming at them like a freight train with a poisonous and sharp barbed tongue? Anger begets anger. And your children might just be learning their anger from you. Another way that parents can stir up anger is through false accusations. Through false accusations. And you know what this is. When you as a parent don't really know what happened in the room next to you. But you immediately assume that they must be guilty and wrong anyway. Psalms 59 verse 3 says that fierce men stir up strife against the innocent. How? By running quickly against them for no fault of their own. Listen, parents, I know your children do a lot that is wrong. (laughs) But be careful. How do you think it makes your child feel when you run quickly to accuse them of wrongdoing, wrongdoing that they never committed? And they have to defend themselves against the unjust accusation of their own parents. What do you think that stirs up in the heart of your child? Harsh communication, sharp speech, false accusations, none of that stirs up love and good works. None of that aligns with the gentleness and patience of Jesus Christ. It stirs up anger. So parents need to be careful that they aren't stirring up a spirit of aggravation, a spirit of anger, and finally, a spirit of rebellion. How might a parent stir up a spirit of rebellion in their child? Again, I'm sure many ways could be given, but let me suggest two. First, a parent could stir up a spirit of rebellion in their child through their own rebellious attitude. Children learn primarily by example, and they will learn to treat their authorities by seeing how you treat yours. If you demonstrate a general spirit of respect and biblical submission to those who are over you, they will generally follow you in that spirit. As Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, so that when he is old, he might not depart from it. But, If you demonstrate a spirit of disrespect and rebellion, unbiblical rebellion, against those who are over you, they will follow you in that also. Now I understand that there are times to disagree and submit to God rather than man, but even that is done out of a spirit of respect and submission according to God's word. Rebellion in you will stir up rebellion in them. Second way a parent might provoke or stir up a spirit of rebellion in their children is by not disciplining the rebellion out of them. Not a very popular thing to say nowadays, but it is according to God's word. You find many examples in this. In the example of Hophni and Phinehas that I gave earlier, God condemned Eli in 1 Samuel 3.13 saying, I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that Eli knew because his sons were blaspheming God. And listen to this, he did not restrain them. He did not discipline them. Another example is King David, how he stirred up rebellion in the hearts of his children by not disciplining them. David is renowned in Scripture for having rebellious sons. Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, all three of them. And the common denominator between all three of his sons is that David never disciplined any of them. 2 Samuel 13.21 says of Amnon, David was very angry, but he would not punish his son. Regarding Absalom, David never corrected his son. And regarding Adonijah, 1 Kings 1, six says his father never at any time even rebuked him. And you know what? In their rebellion, all three of David's sons suffered violent, untimely deaths. That's why Proverbs 13.24 says this, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. Harboring rebellion and permitting wrong behavior, how is that stirring up in your child love and good works? That just stirs up rebellion. parents are commanded here to make sure that they are not provoking their children, that they are not stirring up a spirit of aggravation, of anger, or of rebellion in the hearts of their children. How? By incessant teasing and joking, by being harsh with your words, by making false accusations, by being rebellious yourself, and by refusing to discipline when they engage in wrong behavior. These are just some of the ways that parents might provoke their children to aggravation, anger, and rebellion. There's so many more that I could give. I mean, I wrote out a list. Right, that I don't even have time to develop. Uh, showing favoritism, not showing affection, not keeping your word, demanding too much out of your children, expecting too little out of them, by neglecting them, by being absent from them, or by showing a general disinterest even when you're in the presence of your children. All of these actions from parents provoke and stir up in children a spirit of aggravation, anger, and ultimately rebellion. To what result? End of verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Why? Lest they become what? Discouraged. Think of that. Now that word discouraged means disheartened, dispirited, broken in spirit. It literally means to have your courage, your strength, and your zeal taken away from you. And this is very sobering to think about. First, it's sobering just at an emotional level, right? And that's usually where most people take this passage, right? You don't want to discourage your children emotionally. That's not what Paul's talking about at all, though. He's talking about something far more serious. He's talking about discouraging a child spiritually. Parents, how much influence do you have over the life of your child? You have this much influence. If you're not careful by how you parent You can strip away from your children any desire, any ambition, and any zeal to follow Christ for their own. You can completely discourage them from being the type of children that God wants them to be, from both receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, as chapter 2, verse 6 says, and from walking in Him. That's how much influence God has entrusted to you, fathers and parents, over the life of your children. And so knowing that, knowing that great responsibility (laughs) We don't want to provoke our children to discouragement. We want to stir them up into greater devotion for Jesus Christ. We want them to have greater courage and love and commitment to Jesus. We want to raise them up with reasons to follow Jesus Christ in everything they say and do. Not reasons not to. So how do you do that? Unfortunately, that's an entire other sermon. (laughs) But let me summarize it this way for you. If you want to encourage your children towards spiritual devotion and not towards spiritual discouragement, I'd, the best I could do to summarize everything that Scripture says is these two things. Be present and be Christ-like. Be present and be Christ-like. The parallel passage to this, Ephesians 6, verse 4, says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So if you want to provoke your children towards spiritual devotion and not towards discouragement, then you must first be present. Paul says, do what? Bring them up. It's almost an agricultural illustration he's giving here where you take a weak plant or a sapling and you help shape and strengthen the plant by putting something alongside it like a stick for constant support so that as it grows up, it becomes strong in the direction it needs to go. Listen, parents, and listen, fathers. You cannot bring your children up You cannot be constantly shaping and and strengthening influence in their life if you're not even present in their life. We have permitted this for far too long in churches in America. Fathers, if you're always out working on business trips and never at home, You are failing in what God has told you to do because you are to be present bringing your children up in the way that Christ requires. That is your primary responsibility. And if your job demands, if your, if the demands of your job does not respect your position as a father and as a parent and as a primary shepherd of your children's souls, then you need to consider finding a new job that does respect your position as father. Because in order to exalt Jesus Christ above all in your family and provoke your children towards spiritual devotion and not towards discouragement, you must be present. We talk about absent fathers. We've had far too many absent fathers in the church for generations. Providing for their family, but not parenting it. So if you want to exalt Jesus Christ above all in your family as a father and as a parent you must be present second being present you must be a Christ-like presence you must be a Christ-like presence God says bring them up how He says, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think that's significant. Notice, it doesn't just merely say by, but it says in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, meaning that you are to immerse your children. You are to plunge them into, baptize them if you were, right? You are to baptize them into an environment where the discipline and instruction of the Lord reigns supreme. As a parent who is present in the lives of your children, your mission is to create an environment in which Christ is the center and is esteemed above all. You know the only way that you as a parent are going to be able to do that? To create such an environment where they are confronted with Christ no matter where they go? Is if you're already putting into practice what Paul has already been teaching us in the book of Colossians. If you want to exalt Jesus Christ above all in your family as a father and as a parent, then that means you've got to have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And you've got to have the spirit of of Christ filling you and equipping you daily daily. And you've got to be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ every moment so that Christ will be the environment and the ecosystem in which your children grow up in. So that everywhere they go, taking Deuteronomy 6, as we saw this morning, whether they rise up or whether they sit down or whether they walk in the way, no matter which way they turn, your children will always be seeing Jesus. Jesus by your example. Jesus by your teaching. Jesus by your discipline. And Jesus by your correction. Be present. And be Christ-like. In my eight and a half years out in Pennsylvania, I saw a direct correlation, this is why I'm so passionate about this, a direct correlation between a generation that was lost and believing fathers who were not in the home. So parents, what area of your life and parenting needs to change? First, are you being present if you are are you, a, are you present as an influence in your children 's lives or are you handing them off to be constantly influenced more by others? Are you bringing them up to be uh, by being present, focused, and involved influence in their lives? are you being present second, are you being christ like are you demonstrating the compassion and kindness, humility, and meekness, patience, forbearance, and forgiveness of Christ towards your children, or are you stirring them up towards aggravation, anger, and rebellion? and ultimately spiritual discouragement by how you are mistreating them. Are you being present and are you being Christ-like? Fathers, again, it all starts with you. So how about, in another moment of humility, as you're driving home today, ask your spouse how you can be a more present and more Christ-like leader and influence in your home. Because this is how a faithful father and a faithful parent exalts Christ above all in their families. It's by provoking their children and their family towards spiritual devotion, not discouragement, by being present and by being Christ-like in your example, in your teaching, and in your correction. So that Christ might be exalted above all, especially in our families. So that whatever we do as parents, in word or deed, we do everything in the name of of the Lord Jesus. This is the word of Christ from Colossians 3, 21, which I now commit to your further study. And your faithful obedience, your faithful obedience until he comes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for how it cuts to the heart, to the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents to raise up our children In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us as parents to make Christ the head of our homes because Christ is constantly the head of our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us grace to examine ourselves today. Help us not to provoke our children to spiritual discouragement. Help us to provoke them to spiritual devotion. Help us to make the decisions we need to make, ba- we need to make, so that we can be more present, and that we can behave more Christ-like. So that Jesus Christ would be honored in everything we say and do. Do a work. We f- we pray for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.